We have an anchor that keeps the soul steady. The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. And I want you to think about if somebody were to come to you this week and ask you some basic questions about Jesus, how would you respond? Would you feel biblically competent enough to point them in the right direction? Many, many years ago, Peter said, sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer or a defense of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. The goal, of course, is to be able to tell people what we believe and why we believe it. So I want us to think about some questions, and if you didn't get a copy of the questions, and I know the first, well, I think last week, I had a series of questions, but I didn't give you the Bible answers. We looked at them during the lesson, but I did put some of the Bible verses, I did attach those to, to the questions this morning. So you don't have to worry about missing something. But I want us to look at these questions. And I want you to think again about if somebody were to come to you, whether it be at the office, in the classroom, a friend, a neighbor, maybe somebody at the grocery, were to say, you know, I've been thinking about some things from the Bible and I need some help. And I, I would appreciate it if you could just maybe point me in the right direction. What would you say? Let's begin by, first of all, asking this question. Is there a correlation between Jesus and his word? I think sometimes people have this idea that they can be a disciple of Jesus, but somehow freelance, so to speak, the Christian life, just live as they please. What you'll find in looking at the Bible is that there is no way to separate Jesus and His Word. The, go, the two go hand in hand. As a matter of fact, they are inseparable. And I would encourage you to look at John chapter 6. In the 6th chapter of John, Jesus identified Himself as the bread of life. And Jesus talked about how he was the bread of life that had come down from heaven. And so in that discussion, what he said created a lot of questions in the minds of those who were present. Some became disenchanted. And so John said many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him because they said this is a hard, a difficult saying. And their question was, who can understand it? So Jesus then asked this question, will you also go away? He asked the, the apostles that. Peter, if you recall, spoke up. And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. So if you look at Jesus and you want to know something about Jesus and something about living for him, wouldn't it stand to reason that you need to look at his word? 
that Jesus has given us a body of knowledge so that we can come to an understanding of his love for us, his care for us, his desire to interact with us or to be a part of our daily lives. The Bible says in Ephesians in chapter 5 in verse in about verse 17, that we're not to be unwise, but we are to understand what the will of the Lord is. We can understand the truth and we can understand something about Jesus and what he wants for us and from us in this life. In John chapter 8, when Jesus talked to the Jews of his day, He said, if you abide in my word, he said, then are you my disciples. Note, if you would, the correlation between discipleship and abiding in his word. And then Jesus said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Do you remember in 1 John chapter 2, John said, hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And so we honor the Lord by Honoring his word. As Jesus said in the long ago, if you love me, keep my commandments. So there is a distinct correlation between Jesus and his divine word. There's a second question we want to look at this morning. The question is this, does the Lord really care about me? Now there are a lot of people that you will come in contact with in the world today. It might be the case that you're here this morning. And you too have questioned whether or not the Lord really cares about you. Think about how many people in our world today feel disenfranchised. And they have this idea that no one cares about them. They are unloved. They feel no sense of kinship to any one person. And sadly sometimes when people think about God, And Jesus, they genuinely ask the question, does he really care? I think that's a fair question. And I think that when you look at what the Bible has to say, it's evident that the Lord does care. But I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to listen to what the Lord himself said. In John chapter 3 and verse 16, a passage that I would imagine most people could recite by heart. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. In those two verses alone, we have something about God's love and care for the human family. And if you look at what Jesus said, God so loved the world, inclusive of everyone. So if somebody were to ask you, does God genuinely love me? The answer is yes. God loves everyone. Do you remember Jesus in John chapter 15, verse 13? The Lord said, greater love has no one than this than a man lay down his life for his friends. How many times have you heard it said, talk is cheap? 
And there are a lot of folks in the world today, they will verbalize their love, their concern for you as a person. But sometimes, as you well know, when push comes to shove, when problems arise, when difficulties come your way, they're nowhere to be found. And so you're left wondering, do they really care? Do they really love as they said they did? Well, I want to assure you that God loves you. As a matter of fact, Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God commendeth his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, God demonstrated his love for every single member of the human family. Well, how did he do that? By the sending of his son. And then you think about Jesus going to the cross. A moment ago, we partook of the Lord's Supper. Those emblems reminding us of the sacrifice of Jesus on Calvary. The bread signifying the body that was given in our stead. And you remember the apostle Peter said that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross. That we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness. The cup, the fruit of the vine, signifying the blood shed for our sins. Jesus in instituting the memorial feast said, this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Jesus shed his blood in death so that we might be redeemed. As a matter of fact, Peter said that we have been redeemed not by corruptible things such as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Christ. The body and blood of Jesus say something about the Lord's concern and care for us. The very fact that he went to Calvary on our behalf, as Peter said, he bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross. And then what about the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21? When Paul said, him who knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And then you bring it down to a personal level. And listen to the words of Paul. God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And note the correlation between a relationship with Jesus and his word. God wants people to be saved, suggesting that he cares for us. And then in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If anything, Jesus has open arms, and he's saying, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. And the promise is, I'll give you rest. There's a third question that we want to look at this morning. A question that I think begs an answer. Because there are many people that can identify with this question. Is the blood of Jesus powerful enough to save me despite my sinful life? Now, you think about some of the people that you come in contact with on a daily basis. There are some people in this city, in the Mid-South area, as a matter of fact, we could say in the world, that have lived a hardened, rough life. And they'll tell you that. And there are some people in our world today that because of choices they have made, have dug themselves in a hole. 
And from their vantage point, there's no hope. In their mind, what they will tell you is, you just don't understand. You have no idea where I have been in my life. You can't possibly understand the depth of sin in my life. There are people like that. And there are people in this city who feel this way. And they really don't think there's any hope. They don't know where to turn, to, to turn for help. In their mind, life is futile. No hope. And yet the beauty of Scripture, the beauty of Jesus and salvation is there is hope for everyone. I want you to think about the Apostle Paul for a minute. Paul had the opportunity to share the gospel with a lot of people. And when I look at the life of Paul, I see somebody that could identify with people who had a rogue past. And I really think when you look at the life of Paul today, if Paul were alive, he could identify with you. If your life is not what it ought to be. If you think there's no hope and if you feel helpless in this world, you need to study Paul. Paul is a tremendous case study for hope. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul expressed his gratitude to God for the blessings bestowed on him. He said that formerly he had been a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent person but he said, I did it ignorantly in unbelief. He said, but the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Now think about that for a minute. Paul is, is saying to Timothy, his own son in the faith, you need to understand my life as a Jew. My life as a Jew was, was really all about being antagonistic toward the cause of Christ. Paul blasphemed. He persecuted. As a matter of fact, Luke said he made havoc of the church. Many saints were put to death, and when they were put to death, Paul said, I consented. And yet Paul now is saying, look, you need to understand something about the grace of God that it is exceedingly abundant. Do you remember in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, Paul would say, where sin abounded, grace abounded, listen to him, much more. Do you think Paul knew something about the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God? The answer is yes. Here is somebody that had tasted the benefits and the blessings of salvation. So he would say in verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And listen to what he said, of whom I am chief. All Paul's saying is this. If you want to know what a sinner looks like, I'm the guy. I mean, if you want to know what somebody outside of Christ 
who feels hopeless and helpless, then I'm that person. Now, add to that what Jesus said in Luke 19.10. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to save lost people. Look, if you were perfect, you wouldn't need the Lord. I think sometimes we miss that. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, look, I am the chief. I'm at the top of the rung when it comes to sinful people. And yet I understand something about the mercy and grace of God. And so when Ananias came to him, and Paul had spent some three days in meditation, he said, what are you waiting on? Arise and be baptized, listen to him, and wash away your sins. That's the remedy, isn't it? And then look at the life of Paul. Here is this person who has been transformed by the will of God. Paul, who had, who had at one time been a persecutor, is now the preacher, the proclaimer of the word of God. And he's out talking to people about Jesus and he's out talking to people who feel hopeless and helpless in their lives. So in Acts chapter 18, we read about the Apostle Paul and his missionary endeavors and here he, here he is in the city of Corinth. And what do we know about Corinth? Corinth was known for two things, idolatry and immorality. Would Corinth parallel to any of our cities today? Sure it would. Matter of fact, pick up the newspaper. Turn on the television set. As a matter of fact, visit different cities around our, around our country. Go to New York. Go to Chicago. Go to San Francisco. Go to L.A. Go to Atlanta. Go to Memphis. Right here in Olive Branch. Are there not people whose lives have been turned upside down by sin and unrighteousness? The answer is yes. So here's the question. When Paul got to Corinth and surveyed the situation, and the Bible says he spent 18 months there, but when he initially arrived in Corinth, and you think about the reputation of the Corinthians, their idolatry, their immorality, well known, Paul could have easily said, you know what, they wouldn't be interested in Christ. I mean, why go into that city and talk to those people? Because, I mean, after all, they're so steeped in sin and unrighteousness, they wouldn't want to know anything about Jesus, no. No, he spent 18 months there preaching and teaching the Word of God. And the Bible says many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. So what about those people? What about those people who probably felt like their situation was hopeless and helpless. Well, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when Paul wrote to those people, he said, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, and then listen to this, and such were some of you. Did the gospel of Jesus Christ resonate in the city of Corinth? You better believe it did. Do you think some of those people that felt 
as if there was no hope. Heard about Christ and heard about the power of God's word and the blessings of forgiveness and said, you know what? And you just think about this. There are people in this city, there are people in the Mid-South, there are people all over the, all over the world who've been living a life of sin. They'll tell you. They'll be straight up honest. My life has no purpose, no direction. I feel lost and helpless and hopeless. And they continue to do the same thing over and over and over again, hoping for different results. So then you take the gospel to people like that. And they get the memo. And they say, you know what, there is a better way of life. And there is. And that's what I think everyone needs to understand. You see, God's word and the Lord Jesus Christ, when you look at the Lord, he has not only the power to save you, but to keep you saved. Do you remember in 1 John chapter 1? When John said, if we walk in the light, that is once we become a child of God, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Am I perfect as a child of God? Absolutely not. Do I stumble and fall? Yes. Why? Because I'm a human being. I am no different than any other person. The only difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is the Christian has been forgiven. The Christian is in Christ. And the Christian is saying, you know what, I'm trying to live for the Lord. I'm trying to live a, a better life. Do I sometimes miserably fail? Yes. But I have the assurance that the blood of Jesus is operating in my life every single day. And so in light of that, what a blessing. Which leads me to the fourth question. A powerful question. Because there are a lot of folks that want to know. And sometimes even people in the church who are members of the body of Christ, they have difficulty affirming their hope of heaven. Can I know that I'm saved? Sure you can. I mean, think about this. Wouldn't it be terrible if we didn't have some measure of security as a child of God? Wouldn't it be a miserable existence? But to know that we can look at God's word in light of our life, if the two are compatible, then we're in Christ, aren't we? In Romans chapter 8, Paul said, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. How then does the Spirit bear witness to my inward man, to my soul, my spirit? I take the words the Holy Spirit has provided by means of revelation. It's called the Bible. I look at this book in light of my life. If I have done what the Lord said to become a child of God, if I put my faith and trust in Him as the divine Son of God, 
repented of my sins, confessed his name, been baptized into Christ so that all my sins would be washed away, then am I a Christian? Yes, I am. Can I check that off? Yes. If I'm striving to live a faithful life in Christ Jesus, can I check that off? Didn't Jesus say, be faithful until death, the promise being the crown of life, Revelation 2.10? Yes, he did. So can I know that I have eternal life? Can I know that as a child of God, I'm saved? That I'm within the scope of God's will? That I have all the blessings that are in Christ? Yes, I can. How do I know that? Absolutely certain. 1 John 5, verse 11. John said, this is the testimony, this is the record, this is the witness that God has given us eternal life and he said this life is in his son. Salvation is in Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. What John is saying is salvation is in Christ. That's where life is. So he said, he who has the son has life. He who has not the son of God does not have life. These things I've written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. Now listen to that. John's saying, I'm writing so that you might know that you have eternal life. Am I being arrogant or boastful? If I say, I know the Lord Jesus Christ has saved me from sin through his cleansing blood, I know that I have the hope of life eternal, I know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. I'm not being arrogant. I'm just affirming what the Bible teaches. Paul said that we live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. What he's saying to us is we can know we're saved and we can know that we're heaven bound. Think about the Apostle Paul. When he neared the end of his life here upon planet Earth, he knew Nero Caesar was about to take his head. He said, the time of my departure is at hand. I'm already being offered. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. He said, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the race. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Paul knew at death he would be in the presence of the Lord. And we can know the same thing. And fifthly, our time is gone. Will Jesus allow us to get by on less than what? Here's something I want you to think about for a minute. And I know that there are folks in the world today that struggle with this question. If God's going to allow us to get by with less than what the Word teaches, then why give us the Word? I mean, think about that for a minute. Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. The assurance to those who do the Father's will is heaven. John closed the book of Revelation in chapter 22 by saying, Blessed are those who do His commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and enter through the gates into the city. One day we'll stand before God and He'll judge us. When we stand before Him on the judgment day, this is the book He's going to open. We're not going to be judged on the basis of what we think. It's not going to be on the basis of the court of opinion, but on his word. That's why, as Isaiah read a moment ago, 
Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. He said, The word that I have spoken the same shall judge him in the last day. So, I want to close by saying it's a great, it is a great blessing to be a Christian. Christianity is the way to go, I promise you. It's the only way to go. If you're here today and you're not a child of God, did you know that by obeying the gospel you can enjoy all spiritual blessings in Ephesians 1.3? Wherever you are in life, whatever your state is, to understand things aren't nearly as bad as they may seem. It might seem that life is hopeless and helpless, but I promise you, in Christ, everything, everything can change. To the Corinthians, Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. He said, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Think about that for a minute. Those people that had lived in idolatry and immorality, Paul said, look, all that past, it's gone. It's over. You're a new person in Christ. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, we encourage you to do that this very hour. If you need the prayers of the church, you know, John said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love